by Jake Anderson. Subject. How are you? A little tired, man. Uh, we're recording on Friday. Usually we do Wednesday. Uh, just end of the week as usual for us. Just a busy week. Cardinal season ramping up for us here on the website. You know, too. You're you're around here helping us out as well. Good time of year, though. You got the Cardinals polo on. Look at you. A I company do. man. I do. I, uh, media relations. I work for them on game day, so I'll be there Sunday. Nice, man. Very nice. Unconventional win for rising we're going to talk about 4-1 stopped at the end yeah. uh with in the 80 what minute exactly 84th is when the official word was that this game is over talk me through just just everything you're you're there um however you want to go through it live or after once you were able to because that's something that when it's happening it's kind of hard to realize what's happening unless someone announces it over the speakers right yeah so Ben Spencer scores to get the goal back that Rising had just allowed, which was unfortunate. It was a deflection off A.J. Cochran. Otherwise, it would have been the team's, I believe, fourth clean sheet in a row, which would have been fantastic for those with dirty cars because it had rained that night. But you saw the players from Los Dos walking toward their bench, and it was kind of a what's going on. The referee is, you know, talking amongst the coaches. You have Junior Gonzalez, who's Los Dos's manager, goes over to Rick Schantz. They have a conversation, and if you look at the broadcast, it kind of looks like Schantz kind of like points toward the locker room, and you have the security staff from the stadium down there, and they have uh, radios or walkie-talkies, whatever you want to call them, and they they call up to the head rising media guy who's in the press box with us and kind of says what's going on and when I asked Rick Schantz about it on Tuesday uh, Junior Gonzalez had told him that his keeper um, was hit by something which ended up not being true he had a bloody nose but that's because he just took a ball off his face mm-hmm. from Solomon Asante so that's why he was bleeding but um, a Los Dos fan had thrown a beer can Mm-hmm. onto the field and uh, the keeper said that he did not feel safe and was not going to return into the net so originally they were going to go off the pitch for about five minutes and then they were going to come back and resume play which was the announcement over uh, for the PA but in doing that a fan a season ticket holder threw a, uh, another object that actually hit a LA Galaxy 2 player at midfield and that's kind of when the chaos ensued Um, they went into the dressing room and it was just kind of a waiting game as to what's happening and then after a few minutes the game was called and it was just like okay (laughs) (laughs) like kind of what now media we're wondering okay do we go down to the field for our normal post game press conference um Ended up being no availability for media, and it was just kind of a waiting game before you had 
rising front office um, officials, talking to the league officials. And remember, USL is located in Tampa. So this event happens at the stroke of midnight for them. Yeah, right around um, there. So everyone has their conversations. They get together. And um, per USL rules, any match after the 70th minute will stand. So rising are given the 4-1 victory. Um, there are no precedents for this in terms of a non-team affiliation getting, or excuse me, from a team doing anything to get punished if the fans do it. Anything basically that the team can't control is what Rick Schantz told me. Um, coincidentally, in 2014, these two played and. Arizona United back then were docked two points because they fielded an ineligible player. So that's an example of why the team could be punished. But nothing really is going to happen um, this year for the team. Um, Sam Dore tweeted out that going forward that they're going to be using cups instead of cans. Kind of like how um, if you get a water bottle at a game, they take the cap off for you so they're not as heavy if mm-hmm. you try to throw it at someone. Yeah, um, They did uh, identify the people who uh, threw things on the field. Um, They are permanently banned from the stadium. I feel terrible for the child of the season ticket holder. Um, If you saw the broadcast, he was bawling his eyes out. And to think he will no longer be able to go to a rising match with his father is kind of sad, but it's a decision that you hope is never made again by anyone else. And if he has to be the example... Um, so be it, but yeah, he does have to be the example. But the team is is moving yeah. on from it. it. It's it's a shame that the twentieth victory and the clinching of first place in the West is overshadowed by what happened. But it, it's also going to just create some weird energy on Dollar Beer Night. Now this was it was such a it was such a fun atmosphere, and it's going to remain that way. I don't think it's going to put that much of a damper on it. But with that being said. There is going to be a certain level of energy from fans who, who who go to all those games, season ticket holders especially, who are just going to be like, all right, everyone, like we need to, you don't want to parent people, but at the same time, you want to be like, we need to keep this under control at a certain point. You just wonder how that's going to affect the the energy of the crowd going forward. I still think it's going to be a great atmosphere. I'm not saying it's not going to be, but it's it's just something that you mentioned it was a beer can and dollar beer night, the the promo it's right there in it this was not on a dollar beer night to be fair but i'm just saying going forward at that stadium it's going to be just this unique variable that has been inserted into the fold uh, i'm glad that they found it's that's not something easy i bet to find the people who did it uh, as quickly as they did they, i mean they found out before the morning right they, they had the bands they, in already they they found out that night actually yeah um media we had to stick around for a while to get the official statements from the club and the league which came out right around midnight um, but there's cameras all over the stadium and that's how we're able to identify everyone the rising season ticket holder kind of ad- admitted to it right away he and he knew he made a mistake um, so that one wasn't as difficult and uh, if there are any rumors still going out there if it hasn't been uh, cleared in the air yet Although the LA Galaxy 2 fan was in the supporter section and obviously his beer can came from the supporter section, it was not done by any member of Los Bandidos or Red Fury. Okay. So just to clarify for anyone, if they still had any question about that, it was an LA Galaxy 2 fan that uh, threw the first can. Pretty unique experience for you, huh? I... uh I covered the Phoenix Suns' first summer league game, which got canceled because of an earthquake. 
Ooh. And I was in the okay. I was in the arena while the earthquake happened and saw the large gigantic speakers around the uh, huge scoreboard hanging over the center court swaying back and forth. And that was one of those where um a lot more just like panic from people who were like never been in that situation never been in that situation before which no one has no one's ever been in an NBA arena uh, not an NBA arena but a NBA style arena while there's an earthquake going on very few people can hold that claim before that um but it was also just one of those things where we're standing there like all the players we're like the players we're just standing there waiting like okay what's going to happen here are they going to cancel the game and we're relying on the PA dude to tell us what's up he tells us that we're going to sort this out in a couple of minutes. Uh, just give us some time, and then we're going to get back on the court and play. The thing is still swaying back and forth like 10 minutes later. Not like dramatically, but it's moving. And they're playing below that. <laughs> so if I was a player, yeah, I would, especially in Summer League, like this isn't the f- Game 6 of the NBA Finals or whatever, and they ultimately wind up canceling the game, then we hear they might play the game in the other gym, and it's just like you said, you're the media guy kind of waiting around, but you're the players were probably waiting around for a bit too in that little lull, and just a uh, what a weird turn of events for their season. Uh, we can talk about the game a little bit too. Um, I was critical last week, just kind of saying that I think they do need to lose before the playoffs, just to kind of get back in gear because that two game run of one no wins was their worst form during the winning streak and back to back games. In my opinion, uh, they clobbered them. That Los Dos, no chance this whole game. Solo gets the penalty. Junior Fleming's a brace. Pretty dominant stuff. Yeah, it was 2-0 in the first 15 minutes. Um, completely different from the showing that they had earlier in the year when it was 2-0, and Rising ended up making that comeback. But it was good to see them put a bunch of goals up for the first time in a, since that Colorado game, Colorado Springs. And you see such a difference that Junior Flemings brings to this team. I think when we talked about him coming on at halftime, against Vegas and what he was able to bring and then obviously he notches a brace and I asked him on Tuesday at training when you get the ball at your feet do you look to take guys on and he's like absolutely it's my strength and you can see as soon as he beats one guy he's a dancing through guys but then defenders are are all over the place and you can he can easily pay a pass off so it just creates so much and if you're able to have him and Solo on each side of the field, you're not going to stop either. And if anything, you're just going to play more compact to try to stop them. So it just opens up so much for Phoenix Rising. And to mention, uh, Junior got honorable mention for Team of the Week, and Austin Ledbetter, he got Team of the Week. Just keep finding these guys. Ledbetter not even in the team really at all for the first couple of months. He's on he's on the reserves, I, I believe, for most of those, but not certainly not starting a bunch. And he just rolls in here and earning those nominations. Uh I'm really glad. I think my favorite episode we've we've done where we didn't interview someone was the one where we broke down like how we think Rising lose if they do lose. And the one point that I made on there was I think that you have to eliminate. I don't think you can beat this team when Asante and Flemings do something special. You just you just pretty much cancel it out. And that I understand part of that is on Asante and Flemings not having it that night, but it also is on shutting them down if possible. Flemings first goal dances between three dudes, slots at bottom corner, a little bit of a slow trickler, but perfect placement and just having that shot lane. And then his second goal, that's Asante the back to back. He puts in a perfect ball. That's a great header. 
and a great header too. So that's three different instances of those guys impacting two goals. Fleming's dancing through Asante's cross to Fleming's and then the great header, like you said, you're not going to beat them. I'm sorry. If, if those things happen and add up to two goals, you are not going to beat them because of how good the defense is. And that's the main stabilization of the team that always uh, has been the case that we don't talk about enough. But that's, be, that's the difference there because if this was one of the worst defensive teams in USL, but they had Asante and Fleming's on this tear still in their, their top three up front, I think we could still not make that claim, but we can because we know the defense is going to show up and not give up two, three goals randomly because they just really haven't done that this year. How many times have they given up? I mean, it's been, I think it's been since the 3-3 draw where they where they gave up more than two goals. Yeah, they opened the season with two 3-3 draws, and that was the last time, I believe, if I'm looking at this correctly, that they gave up. I can't up. think of a game off the top of my head. It's I amazing mean, if you look at, Three goals given up in the last five league games, by the way. Like that's yeah. If you look at the uh, goal difference, they have a better goal difference than the rest of the West has points. <laughs> There's just all of those dumb stats now. It's just absurd. I, I think something for me as as such a huge European soccer fan the last couple of years, I'd, using numbers to kind of differentiate things for me because of my lack of experience watching the game growing up and everything and something that just doesn't really happen is in in every major league or just league for that matter there isn't really there are guys who have incredible seasons and stuff but it's usually a couple of guys in the league at the same time there's no one just running away with the golden boot there's no one just running away with the assist title i think ozil may, maybe had a couple years uh for like real madrid and arsenal where he had way more than anyone else but asante has seven more goals than anyone else in the usl right now he's got 22 the next two guys have 15 it's three behind uh tying the record adam john has 15 and junior Fleming's has 13 which adds up to 50 goals on the year which is the most by a trio but that's a really important point to make right because this is not just him having 22 goals and the next guy on the team has six or whatever he's not he's carrying the team but these other guys are scoring too and to that point he's the one providing he's got 15 assists the next guy has nine and then no one else in the league has even eight the next guy a couple of guys in the league have seven Junior Fleming's has seven, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he does, yes, correct. And then Solo's one behind, tying the record. So our weekly segment of, hey, you idiots, Solomon Asante is the MVP and don't get it twisted. Yeah, if he if he doesn't win, I, I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know. We give up on everything. That's what we do. Yeah. We highlighted last episode, and I think for a couple of episodes in a row now, we, we have spotlighted this three-game run on the road. You are buying Fresno as the biggest test for them, as are a lot of people. I'm still highlighting the New Mexico game because I understand that they have fallen off form a ton uh, compared to the start of the season. But that being said, I'm not sure if the claim of this is the only team they haven't beat yet is true, but it's the only team they haven't, they've lost to twice. Technically, they haven't beat Fresno. They tied nil-nil. Yeah, they've lost twice to New Mexico. Uh, the penalties, of course, in the cup. And, technically, and, or no, wait, they it, drew. They drew three three. Technically, it's a draw in the cup as well. Yeah, so so I guess I'm wrong twice. <laughs> they they drew twice, but the the key thing being there no win. Bottom line, there. it's not the result they wanted. Exactly. Uh, what, what do you think about Fresno, and especially looking at them last time? That was the big storyline. They were getting picked by a couple of people to beat Rising. That was a very close game. What did you take from? looking at their style before that game and then how it unfolded during that game to kind of preview this last affair and how and why they match up so well. I mean, to be honest, the Fresno match happened in April. 
Who am I thinking? Or, of? Excuse me, March. Uh, yeah, April. I'm my my months are all over the place. Yeah. Um, April six is the last time these guys faced off against each other, nil nil. They're completely different teams. I mean, that was the first time that Zach Lubin was in net, and. You've seen the form of the team since. I mean, Rising hasn't dropped a point since May 4th. And Fresno has been in the second best form in the Western Conference. And they're a foe that they haven't faced since. It'll be interesting. It's another road test for Phoenix. If they do win, it's the 10th in a row on the road, which is practically going to double the record. If not, it does, I believe. Um, It would be win number 21 in a row. I'm honestly, it's one of those to where the game that they played previously happened so long ago that I really don't think you can put as much emphasis in, you know, film or form or what have you for that match back then. It's kind of a whole new team on both ends of the equation, Um, especially with uh, John Baccaro's injury. Um, He was out of training on Tuesday, but he was running around. He had a brace on his knee. Rick John said that because of such some massive lead that they have in the table, they're not going to push him as much as they would as if they did need him. So it kind of sounds like he'll be ready for the playoffs. He's kind of. Do you see him as the type of player where we have seen? You you warned me about this at the start of the season where where Lubin got going, and um, I'm, I'm blanking on the other goalkeeper's name. Carl Jensen. Exactly. Um, he was he was the guy who just really established himself last year. Lubin comes in, plays well. It's it's his spot now. You warned me. Shantz is that type of guy where if you earn your spot, you're going to keep it. Mm. Where do you think Bacaro falls in that balance of these guys have just keep winning even without him, and that they'll need him come come playoff time? Where do you think? I I think he'll he'll come in for Musa and Lambert will drop back and okay. Nagi will play in there. It's, he's one of those players. He's like he's like Junior. It's there's such I don't want to say a gap in talent but you can see what he brings touch on the ball exactly and you saw in the Tacoma match as soon as they went down 2-1 first guy off the bench was John Baccaro and the game opened up immediately so he's a guy that if they're going to win this thing it's going to be coming from him solo junior Adam John like I I could see Jose Aguinaga having the ability to it, he has the ability, but it's just a lot of pressure on a guy who hasn't had to have that role. He's excelled in his role. I kind of want to equivalent it to the 2014 World Cup when Josie Altador got hurt and it made yeah. Clint Dempsey have to step up, which made Michael Bradley have to step up. Mm. And while they can do those roles, they're not their true roles. So you want your guys to play in the in the roles that they've been excelling in. Anything else you want to mention before we head out? Um, speaking of the Champions League, we saw Liverpool lost their first match of the season. And if you look at last year, they lost more games in the Champions League than they did in the Prem. But we know which one they won and which one they didn't. So that's something that Rick Schantz actually has been very adamant on, is that we don't want to judge this team based on what happens in the playoffs. That's that's a four-match four tournament and, you know, one bad bounce. Single elimination. You lose in penalties. No aggregate. That's it. Yep. Whereas they might have the greatest season in the history of this league, and that shouldn't be taken away from or disvalued or, or what have you. And 
to an extent, like I agree. I after last season, I I completely believe that the Premier Premier League specifically is the hardest cup to win. But winning your league, it's it takes months. I mean, we're talking about the season that started in March, and you have to play all the way through. To yeah. whereas the playoffs are a one month thing. Travel is probably the thing where Champions League gets gets the edge just in terms of moving around midweek and everything and and the difficulty of that and just squad depth and everything like that but that's to the league again like Liverpool winning the league while they were competing in the Champions League and balancing everyone's health and everything uh, was really important and I'm glad you brought that up a four-match tournament because that's something we're going to talk about more and more as we get closer to late October on October 26th when the quarterfinals is uh, at Phoenix and when playoffs get underway for them you watched this game, Galaxy's lone goal. It's something we talked about all the time. Just these weird happenstance goals that happen a lot more in this league than some of the top leagues. And that's just one of those things where in the playoffs, if the offense isn't clicking, one of those dumb goals goes in. You're 1-1, you go to extra time, then you go to penalties, and you lose. It's going to be really easy to lose in, the, in that specific situation. It's. I mean, the playoffs, think about it. You don't have to win a single match to win the USL Cup final. That's crazy. You go to pens every time. about it, yeah. And you can't do that in regular season if you even want to make the playoffs. Yeah, that that also, that kind of caveat. So actually, my question for you is, where can they effectively shut it down? How how many points away are we now from Indy? So as we record, it's about 5 p.m. Uh, Indy 11 is about to kick off or playing right now. So as we speak, should Indy 11 win out, they would be at 77 points. Rising would be... Rising is currently at 71. Okay. They need seven points to both clinch it and break the record for Cincy. But I don't foresee Indy 11 closing the season out on like a 15-match win streak. So should they drop points, Rising's magic number drops as well. So let's say Indy loses tonight. Rising's point to win the league title would be at 75 instead of 78. But we'll see what happens. I mean, they might not even have to wait for Indy to do anything. They just might take care of business. The one thing I kind of don't want to see happen, though, is I don't want to see them win it on the road. (laughs) You know, because they got the three road matches in a row, going to New Mexico and then Portland after. They're not going to not not try, but to do it at home, I think, would be that much memorable, that much better, that much greater for the fans. But it adds a whole lot more incentive to getting this. So if Indy does draw or lose or whatever, and you can clinch this, Theoretically, in two games, you, if you it win could. against Fresno and New Mexico and then Indy doesn't have things go in their favor, that's three potential matches where you could look to sit some key guys and just give them some rest going into the playoffs. And I think that's going to be that's going to be something that's like low key important about this uh, beyond the winning streak and, and all that kind of stuff is just looking for opportunities to rest these guys because it has been a really long season. Yeah. One thing I will say is I would be willing to bet that they want the record. They won oh, yeah. at least 78 points. They've already beaten the goal record in a single season. So I think once they hit 78, I think they'll shut it down. It'll take a minimum of three matches to get to that point. So theoretically, the last two matches, which are both at home, one's a dollar beer night. Well, maybe they're going to have to win on dollar beer night. Maybe they'll just, fin- they'll just win out. They'll just win the next five, go on to the playoffs. We'll see what happens. But this team, until you can stop them, can't be stopped. Four matches in the playoffs, man. That's it. That's, that's it. For a season that is how many? 34. <sighs> Just seems like some balancing maybe there. Just a thought, USL, if you're the, listening. Crazy. The season's almost over. Yeah. 
it, we are almost there, but we still got plenty more to talk about, and we'll be back next week to discuss uh, hopefully another rising win and another um, compelling match, I think, is, is this one against Fresno. That's one you circled. I certainly highlighted it, at least, and we'll be back next week. See ya. Peace.